ever present. Thank you for that. We know that it's true. You're the creator, God. And so we just submit ourselves to you, knowing that you are here with us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. They can stay with her during the day or whatever, but we'll figure that out. I meant to do that today, and I forgot, so it's been one of those busy days. But uh, we are in 1 Timothy. Uh, there it is. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Did you get it? Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. What was it? Something unplugged? Oh, oh, I see. Okay. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have 12. Okay. What did we go through last week? We did 10 and 11. Yeah. We did. Okay. Yeah, okay. see, you're wrong. Ah! Can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm write this date down. 15. <laughs> okay, so, here we go. So, the Lord's know? grace to Paul. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Okay, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So, very close. There you go. Um, uh, yeah, I wonder why... Yeah, we do that all the time. Either I'm wrong or you're wrong or something's wrong. And the board is wrong. There's always something going on. Uh, good evening, Miss Garrett. How are you? Very good to have you here. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, verse 12, Paul bursts into praise because of the words he has just said in the previous verse. Why don't you read the previous verse because mine's sure, closed. the one that I think we should be on. Uh, yeah. There you go. Let's read both of them together. How's that? <laughs> that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Oh boy, Sergio, this chair, I got to get another chair because this, it just goes straight back down and it's like I'm shrinking on, I'll tell you what, I'll be right back, everybody, just don't panic, I'll be back in a second, I can't sit on that chair anymore. Take the stack of three. No, 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 I'll be right back. I know. I don't think this is any better, it's not, this is no better at all. I'll just move the camera down for now. Yeah, okay, well, whatever. Yeah, that's absolutely no better. I mean, it's a little bit, but this thing has had it. All right, okay, there we go. It's a little higher. Sure isn't as comfortable, I'll tell you that. This thing is just miserable. We're getting started really well today. We are. Uh, all right, here we go. All right. Uh, totally, well, what happened is these people that are here for the first time, we got new uh, chairs and a new carpet. Somebody gave them to the church. So we redid everything. We had to readjust the camera because we moved the pulpit back and everything is just messed up. So um, it's one thing at a time. And uh, okay, he's got that figured out. So we're good to go. This chair is absolutely horrible. This is what I used on the beach for years. Keep you moving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's see here. Um, uh, as readers of the word, we may place Paul on a super spiritual level, but he certainly didn't feel that way. And he will explain his time before Christ in the coming verses. But for now, he says, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's words. Uh, to thank someone for something generally means that they have obtained from the person something they did not previously possess. Paul directs his thanks to the Lord because it, uh, it is he, the Lord, as he says, who has enabled me. The Lord provided that. Um, you know, I was reading a comment today from Tozer. Somebody gave me the book, and uh, I'm kind of going through it. And one of the things he said is, uh, um, I, I wouldn't be able to find it in there, but he was saying that the reason why um, uh, 
God feels far away from us is because, and I kind of alluded to that in the prayer, uh, but he was saying that uh, these people like David and uh, uh, Elijah and these other people were all basically on the same level. And uh, because of that, they, they felt the nearness of God and etc. Um, I disagree with that because Paul had to be brought out of his darkness. He wasn't on some level that brought him there of, of his own accord. And the same is true with Jeremiah. Um, he was saying that these people were used of God because of X. And that wasn't the case with these people. Jeremiah, Moses as well, he wanted nothing to do with it. He's like, Lord, please find somebody else. So they had to be brought to a point where they were ready. And the Lord had to bring them to that personally. And then they were able to commune with them. Now, David seems like a little bit of an exception. David uh, uh, seems like even from his youth had an understanding that God was there. He, you know, was out in the fields. He's a shepherd, and he probably just thought about God and about, you know, what he heard in the synagogue on Saturday or whatever. And uh, he just seems to be a perceptive person. And so even when he was doing something wrong and he was confronted with it, he admitted it and he knew. He says, you know, where can I go from your spirit? Okay, he, he understood that on a level that I think other people have to be taught that. And uh, that probably, like I say, goes to something with him being out in the, the creation and being able to just sit under the stars and think about God and think about what he was like. Uh, Paul wasn't like that. Paul was trained in theology. He was trained in, uh, uh, you know, the rabbinic schools and uh, as a Pharisee. And so he was conditioned to think a certain way. And that's what happens when you go to seminary or something. You're, you're taught to think in a certain way, whether it's correct or not. And, uh, you know, we talked about that either one or two weeks ago, whereas that uh, uh, if you are going to go to seminary, or maybe it was some other time. I, I said this at some point. Yeah. Um, if you're going to go to seminary, uh, the very best thing that you can do, the best thing you can do is read the Bible many, many times <laughs> before you go. Because what they are going to do is train theology into you. And if you don't have a grounding in scripture before you go, what they teach you is what you are going to accept. And, you know, I, cl classic case in point is R.C. Sproul. I mean, he said, I was, uh, you know, I read the Bible a lot. And I, I just, I had my head stuck in the Bible. I didn't like the way he referred to it. He said, you know, I was in class and I was just brain dead because all I could think about was reading the Bible. And then I uh, uh, heard something about philosophy and uh, one of the professors said something, and he said, I went and changed my major, and I, uh, you know, majored in Christian philosophy. And uh, that, what a big mistake. I, well, just a big mistake, because uh, the Bible is where, you know, any philosophy you want, you will find in Scripture. And the more you read Scripture, the more you will know which philosophies are incorrect, okay? And so if you're going to be, you know, pursuing God, know the Bible first and not just know it I've read it two times read like say read it 50 times read it through again and again and again and not only that but read it in different ways when I first met the Lord I you know I said many times I had a uh, store right down the road and I had 10 hours a day to do absolutely nothing because you know especially like in May in Florida there's not much going on it's hot all the tourists are gone People aren't in the mood for buying anything. There's no action going on. And so they stay home in the air conditioner. And so 
I would read the Bible 10 hours a day, seven days a week, and I would be done in a little less than one week, I'd finish the Bible. And then I'd start again and I'd read it. And I, that went on for two full years where I'd read the Bible at least once a week. And um, uh, then I started, you know, I read it first, maybe eight or nine times through. And then I thought, I wanna do something different. So I started reading Genesis and Matthew, uh, Exodus and Mark, and you can, pretty much finish the New Testament twice in the same time that you read the Old Testament. So, uh, you know, you were getting more New Testament that way. And I did that for quite a while. And then I thought, well, I'll read them backwards, you know, Revelation, whatever. And so I tried that. And then I, I'm going to read every 22nd book. And so I would read Genesis and then Isaiah, I think it was, and then uh, Acts is 44. So you're going through the Bible every 22nd book and you end up with Revelation. But you get a completely different picture of what's going on by doing that. And uh, it, so there's no wrong way of reading the Bible. You just read it and read it and read it and read it a lot. And, uh, you know, like I say, when you mix things up, you're able to see, well, now I see what this prophet was saying here, where you might not have seen that before, because different books are relating to different things in different ways. And so uh, uh, the more that you prepare your mind in Scripture, the better off you are going to be when you are taught theology by somebody. Because all you're doing is you're getting their impression and probably something that they were trained and the people that trained them were trained. And so there's this ongoing thing that may have incorrect information in it. And the more you know the Bible, the more you'll be able to say, that doesn't sound right. And you'll look for other other explanations and sure enough, you'll find one that actually is a lot better than what you were taught. Um, but that's why we have so many Arminiists. That's why we have so many Calvinists. That's why we have, you know, so many independent fundamental Baptists is because they all go to their own seminaries. They are taught that particular thing and that is what they carry through with. They do not start with scripture. They start, you know, some of them probably read the Bible during their youth and, you know, that's great. The parents raised them like that, but they didn't read it a lot. They just, you know, read it like all of us do. And, uh, so um, I think I said it here. I may have said it in a letter to somebody, but if you, oh, I know what it, I know who I sent this to, um, Sergio. I sent a copy of it to Sergio and uh, to uh, Don and Jody. Is weirdest thing happened? This is just bizarre. I um, they buy Bibles at the Goodwill and then we hand them out down in the projects. And uh, this past week, I needed a couple of Bibles to put into the bag, and I pulled one of them out, and it was a brand new NIV Bible, but it was an old one, but it was never read. And it had a guy's name on it, uh, Mike Lee. And I thought, well, we can't hand this out to anybody. So I made a little note in my brain. If I ever come across a Mike Lee, I've got a Bible for him, right? What are the chances of that? None. Well, yeah, zero, right? The next day, I'm reading an article on Fox News and something I never knew is there's a senator from Utah named, anybody? Mike, Mike Lee, thank you. So I said, I, I guess the Lord's telling me to send him a Bible. He's probably a Mormon coming from Utah. And so I, uh, I typed up a nice letter for him and uh, oh, maybe I have it. May, I, I believe he's a Christian. Okay, I hope I, he is. I could be wrong, but, but I've, I've heard him on a couple I hope he friends. is, but you know what? He might not read his Bible too. Right. So I got this Bible and it's, you know, it's a nice, very nice book. And here, I'll read you that. This is my letter that I sent to these guys. If the, Sergio, if I went to his thing, I wouldn't find it for an hour because we message all day long. So, um, Okay, Senator Lee, I'm a preacher in Sarasota, Florida. We get Bibles and hand them out to people each Saturday for the past 18 years. 
they usually come from the Goodwill bookstore. So I pulled out some of the Bibles this past week to hand out and voila, there's one with the name Mike Lee on it. Can't hand that out, I said to myself. If I ever come across a Mike Lee, I'll be sure to give it to him. What are the chances of that, I figured. I might have to hold on to it for a while or maybe even until I kick off. The very next day, I was reading news articles for the weekly news report I give to the church and voila, there's a Mike Lee on Fox News article. Well, what do you know? I don't have to carry this Bible forever. Now for the tough and the easy part. If you read this 30 minutes a day, this is to convict all of you, you will be done in 154 days. The most precious document on the planet generally goes unread and collects a lot of dust. The condition of this Bible speaks volumes. It is evident it was given to a Mike Lee and he never bothered to open it. Don't make such a grievous mistake. Rather, I would hope and pray that you would read it and contemplate what you read. It identifies our problem and what God has done to resolve it. In its pages, you will meet the king of the universe. Life is short. Use it wisely, sincerely, and I signed out from there. But there you go. Mike Lee will now have a cut. Did it go out today? Okay, she went to the post office, so uh, that'll go out to him, and hopefully somebody will give it to him and say, you know, here. And he'll read it on the way back to Utah, and maybe he'll start reading you it. Are all right. the he is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day There you go. Saints. So he's probably been go. all of his he's life good. indoctrinated in the Book of Mormon. We have a couple Mormons, ex-Mormons, that uh, have been here a couple times, and they attend online. And he said that they don't read the Bible. They read the Book of Mormon. Yeah. That is their doctrine. And so, uh, once again, what you feed into yourself is what you are going to accept. Now, if he takes the challenge, he's going to read the Bible, and he's going to hopefully come to Galatians 1, 6 through 8, and he's going to be told that what he has been taught all along is a false gospel. Okay, it's very clear what it says there. Go read it. Um, but uh, this is what we need to do. And as far as Paul, we'll go back to where we were now. To thank someone uh, generally means that they have obtained from the person something they did not previously possess. In Paul's case, he did not previously possess anything except an enmity towards Christianity, a zeal for God that was not of faith. It was of the law. Okay, Paul thinks, uh, thanks, uh, directs his thanks to the Lord because, as it says, he who has enabled me. The word translated as enabled is one which indicates that an outward source of strength is bestowed. The word empowered conveys the thought well. God empowered Paul, okay? Paul did not empower himself. As a matter of fact, if anybody here thinks they empowered themselves, they did not. The Lord gave me a building to sit in to sell stuff that nobody wanted most of the time. I mean, very few customers, that always paid for itself, but it was, you know, high-end stuff that I was selling. And so you might get one customer every couple days or something. And uh, I had a lot of nonsense in there too, but, um, uh, and people would come in for that. But it, he enabled me to be in that position where I could sit in the, it got to the point where when that bing bong went off, I was sitting in the back room and I, I drilled a hole in the wall so I could see out. And um, uh, when that bing bong went off, I, I was like upset because it's interfering with this. And so, you know, I'm like, oh, I gotta go make more money now, dang it. Um, but, uh, it, you know, when I tried to get the people quickly directed to what they wanted and get them out the door because I wanted to read this. And that went on, like I say, for two years and finally, I needed to get out of there. I needed to get away from what I was selling. And so I uh, uh, d 
did that. We just closed it and I gave away most of the inventory. Just here, please take it. Some lady came along and, and took it out of there and uh, uh, that was that. And went back into my old job for a few years until I finally went through the seminary and, and voila, here we are. But Quick, quick um, question, what version were you reading? Well, uh, the first one is the one that, uh, oh, it's on the desk at home now because I needed to reference it for a sermon. But uh, uh, the first one that I actually started with, believe it or not, were, what happened is I was standing in the store and yeah, I, I was just like, you know, doing my own thing and a couple of JWs walked in. And they gave me a New World Translation, which my mother absolutely freaked at. Um, she's like, they're a cult. And I'm like, I've never seen anybody read the Bible. They read their Bible. And uh, so anyway, that really quickly went in the garbage, which I felt bad about because then I needed it for reference to speak to the Jehovah's Witnesses. So I got a copy of it, and that's the one in back. If you ever want to talk to a Jehovah's Witness, it's got more tags and marks on it than you could go back and look at it. It's on the shelf back there. But... Um, uh, so uh, mom rushed in there and gave me an NIV. And I had read the Bible when I was young, but it was the King Jimmy version. And obviously it's impossible to understand anything when you're 15 years old reading that. And so it was just very difficult to even get through at one time. But the NIV all of a sudden made everything simple. Instead of saying 1,955, it just says 1,900. It's in numerals instead of all written out. And instead of having everything in block form, which will just drive you insane after about three minutes, it had paragraphs and it would indent things and it would, you know, uh, italicize. It was very well done. I don't recommend the NIV anymore because uh, they've gone PC, but up until 2004, their Bibles are fine, okay? It's New International Version. It's kind of, they call it dynamic equivalence. It's not a direct translation. It's not a paraphrase. It's in between the two. They try to take sense, like instead of saying, you know, a literal translation is word for word, like Young's literal translation. And then you have a paraphrase, which this is the intent, okay? But it's not following the Bible. It's following intent. And well, a dynamic equivalent takes the concept Okay, and it says, here is what this means to a modern person. Okay, it's a very good way of doing it. There's no wrong way as long as, they are, as, long as they are faithful to the original. So I like the NIV, um, but I don't recommend you buy one after a 2004 copyright. And you can get brand new NIVs from the older versions. It's not a problem. You go on to Amazon and there are people that have gotten them and then they resell them and they've never been read one time, so it's good. But um, the NASB is more of a literal translation, um, although it's real clunky, I don't like it. But um, anyway, um, uh, it was the NIV. And so that, and it just made everything simple. And so I read that for the first couple of years, and like I said, I read it once a week, so uh, it was time to upgrade after that, and I just started reading a different version every time. And uh, I just decided just for, the sake of uh, consistency. Not because I think this is a good translation, but for consistency, I use the New King James Version for all studies and sermons, okay? And then I do my own translation, as you know. But uh, for just for the reading of the Bible, I always use this. It's, you know, it's a good, consistent version. But, um, uh, in the contrast, 
Oh, yeah. We, we always read the NIV here, and we read the New King James Version here because they're based on different source texts. And so you can see, you know, sometimes they'll drop out a verse, and they'll say, well, this isn't in the oldest and best text, which is nonsense. Old does not mean best, okay? That's subjective. Um, you have to determine, based on critical scholarship, why this verse isn't in there or why it's a little different in there. And uh, that's that's a completely different discipline. That is people that spend eons of time in their life studying thousands of manuscripts. And they really understand the mechanics of how we got the Word of God. Uh, but uh, besides that, um, it's good to know why there are differences and uh, uh, you know, why this translation is incorrect, why this one is correct, and, and so forth. That's all good to know, and you know that we do that in detail on Sundays because I want people to at least know exactly what the Hebrew says. Um, uh, and we had, oh, it was so funny. What happened, Sergio? This week, he is in the air flying back from Italy. He's, and I thought, I'm, I, I've got a question on the last verse of the passage that I'm doing today, which is in Judges 10. Very last one, I thought, you know, I, I want to check this because not one translation translates it like this. And, you know, when that happens, it, I always want to make sure that I'm not thinking wrong. And so I thought, I got to wait until he lands. It's going to be hours and I'm going to be done with the sermon. I'm not going to want to go back because I'm doing other things. And, um, but he, he emailed me while he was flying. He says, yes, I'm here. So I sent it to him and I said, here's my issue. What do you think about this translation? And he came back and he said, that's exactly how it should be. He says, I don't know how he came to the conclusion. I don't remember exactly the words he used, but no, I'm not going to go looking for it. But um, I did include it in the sermon, his words exactly, so that I'm not the one that's accountable for the bad translation. <laughs> I'm kidding. He, he, you agreed with the translation, though. And he said, that, that's the standard, why they would deviate from that. But I thought I must be missing something. But anyway, um, uh, that kind of stuff is important because a, a simple little change changes the entire intent of the verse. And now you're reading something that is not what the original is intending. And so uh, uh, to me, that's, that's really, really important. And we've seen that several times in the book of Jonah. The, the whole book of Jonah hinges on the translation of a single verse in the last uh, chapter of the book, right towards the end. And it, it completely changes what you believe about the book of Jonah. One translation at the time, there may be more because I only checked like 15 and now I checked 40, but one translation did it right. And I said, Sergio, why does it say this? And he says, because that's what it says. Well, why don't they translate it this way? Jonah is the most unbelievable book that you can imagine. And yet, it's not translated right in the last chapter, and therefore you get a completely incorrect thought of what God is doing, completely. Anyway, um, so that is important. Those things are important. But those things, uh, the whole point of that was that God enables you, okay? He gave me the time to be in that. It's not that I did anything great. It's that he gave me the time to be in his word for those years. All right, and then he has given me the ability to continue to pay the bills after her retirement because of the part-time jobs and because people are gracious to the church and take care of it uh, of their own free will. He's enabled me to be able to sit all day on Monday, 10. This week she came home and she says, you're done already? 
All right. It was, I, I finished in 11 hours. It only took 11 hours to type the sermon. And she was like, well, we got free time. I said, no, I got other things to do. But um, uh, yeah, you know, sometimes it's 14 or 15 hours. And I still have another few hours of work to do after that every Monday. But God is the one that enables you to be able to do those things. So if you think, you know, Burke sends out these wonderful things to people, right? Why can he do that and you can't? Because you've got your own responsibilities in life. God has enabled him the ability. He's enabled him the intelligence. He's enabled him the time. All right. He's a millionaire, so he can sit and do nothing all day. I'm kidding. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. What you got? Reading in 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts. Yes. He, he hey. talks about the same spirit. Yeah, that's and right. He, and he comes down and he says, uh, just he gives to people individually just as he wills. That's right. It's you know, all about him. Yes. It, That's, and yes. you did that this week. He did a great, uh, uh, what do you call a commentary on, he gave comments from other scholars and how they laid out the gifts. It was very well done. So if you want to see what he's talking about, uh, he can send it to you. It was just very well done. But God is the one that enables. He's the one that provides the gifts. And so there is no boasting in what you have or what you uh, may know, okay? He gave you whatever you needed for those things. And Paul is acknowledging that right here. Um, so he is empowered, enabled. In this, Paul claims that the strength required to conduct his affairs in conveying the gospel came from Christ and not from himself. Well, you could say he met Christ when he was, we'll say 35, okay? I have no idea, but we'll just say he was 35. He was already the same guy he was before he was 35 and he had all the power and all the uh no god created him that way he created adam adam had a union with eve and eventually all these people came together throughout the years and he formed paul out of all of these unions and he knew exactly what he would be like and this is the man i'm going to choose for this and if you think that that's stretching it all you need to do is go to the book of hebrews and read about jesus he prepared a body for him Okay, it says for me because it's first person. But uh, the body that Jesus Christ had was prepared from the very beginning of the world. Every single story that you go through in the Old Testament will have something telling you about the preparation of Christ's body. The union of Lot and his two daughters, both of those daughters lead to Jesus. Okay, the story, one story after another, you are going to see where it ties in to the coming Christ in one way or another. Okay, and if you, uh, just so you know that I didn't make that up, um, Lot, Abraham, his wife, uh, his father, uh, uh, this whole thing in that chapter where they detail the uh, life of Abraham, every person that's mentioned there leads to Jesus. But Lot, through his uh, daughter, uh, who had the son Ben-Ami, became the father of the Ammonites, and the other one became the father of the Moabites. Well, where was Ruth from? From Moab, that's right. So that daughter led to Jesus. But what, where does the Ammonites fit in? Does anybody remember? Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. And his mother was an Ammonite. So even the Ammonites. All of that, that story was not there to tell us how bad Lot was. It was to tell us who was coming uh, into the genealogy of the Savior of the world. So, uh, you know, you want to look at these things and you want to uh, understand that those girls were girls of faith. They understood that they were in the messianic family that was promised, okay? And you look at the wording in there, and they, they knew what they were doing. There is no man in the world to come into us like the rest of the world. But they knew that they needed to preserve the seed. And so what did they do? 
they devised this thing, which may not be appropriate to our senses, but it led to the coming of Christ. Anyway, um, so uh, all of these things are how God is shaping the world. Now, you know, I don't want to get too much into the computer analysis, but when you write a computer program, you are looking for an end in that program. Something that is, and this is what the Lord has done. He has brought us in with the, the genetic coding in us, so everything is leading to what he intended, all right? Uh, we're still responsible for our actions, you know, just because you're born without an arm doesn't mean you need to reject the Savior, okay? You can say, you know, this is the way he created me, and I'm going to live with it, and I'm going to accept it, and I'm going to do great things for Christ. So these are, uh, you know, that is a separate issue than your construction. But your construction, God knew what you would be like before you were born. So do the best with it, whatever it is. Um, okay, um, so Paul claims that the strength required to conduct his affairs came uh, of, of the gospel, came from Christ and not from himself. This is in accord with the words of the Lord when he spoke to the disciples of, in the words of John 15, 5. Without me, you can do nothing. Paul confirms this in his own life as an apostle. Next, he states why the Lord enabled him. It is because, Paul's words, because he counted me faithful. As the Lord is omniscient, this is not an after-conversion judgment, but a pre-conversion judgment. The Lord saw exactly what I was saying. The Lord saw the makeup of Paul, and he knew that it was exactly what was needed to meet the grueling demands of the office which would be placed upon him. He knew that he would be a stout person that would be able to handle, you know, getting shipwrecked, that would be able to handle, you know, all of the rigors of walking and the trials, and he probably didn't need to sleep much. You know, I couldn't have done what he did. If I don't get eight hours of sleep a day, I am useless. Okay, I should, shouldn't say it that way because I do go to bed eight hours and sometimes I might sleep for two. I just sit there and toss and turn, right? But um, I, I am no good if I don't go to bed at a set time and get up at a set time. All right, that's just how. Um, surprisingly, Sergio has been getting up really early lately. He usually gets up about 1230 or one or whenever it's getting warm outside. And the past couple days, he's beat Hidako up. He's like, Hidako's not up yet? What's the matter with her? Beat her up? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, he beat her up. Um, so anyway, um, uh, yeah, I, I, it's hard to beat me up. I'm up by 3.30 every day. But today I said, it's been one of those long weeks like last week. And I said to myself, it was about 3 o'clock. And I said, I'm just going to lay here. And then 3.15, and I said, I'm not getting that bad. And then 3, whatever time, 3.24 when I normally get up. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I, I forced myself to stay in bed until 4.15 today. Woo-hoo! Uh, yeah. I, it was like taking a vacation, i got to tell you. But I didn't have anything to do in the morning. The mall work, I didn't need to do the regular stuff. I just had a few things down there. I cut a couple, cut a couple palm trees. and uh, uh, Yeah, it was close. Um, but anyway, um, I couldn't do what Paul did. He stayed up all night and preached in uh, Acts, uh, you know, when Eutychus fell out and uh, died and they had that. Uh, anyway, um, he preached all night. I could not do that. I would be, if somebody was doing that, I'd be Eutychus. I'd be just falling asleep, and if I was on a, a windowsill, I'd be out the window. So uh, God knows your abilities. He knows your strengths and your weaknesses, and don't fret over that. Just use them according to your ability to glorify him. Anyway, um, so uh, in the verses ahead, 
Paul will describe some of his negative traits, showing his unworthiness to hold the position he was placed in. However, Jesus looked at his positive attributes, and he knew that with the proper guidance, Paul was the right man for the task which lay ahead. No doubt about it. His training, he was versed in the law. He knew things that the other apostles had no idea about. He was raised in a Gentile community, Tarsus of Cilicia, right? So he understood the ways of the Gentiles. He certainly spoke Greek, probably Latin. He spoke Hebrew. He spoke Aramaic. He spoke the local dialect, at least in one place and probably several. He was the right guy to get out there and say, I know how to get around and get this done. The other guys were raised in Israel. They Their whole life was in Israel. They were not trained in any theology, and so uh, they they had a different purpose but Paul or God selected Paul for a particular purpose the apostle to the Gentiles and hence we have the Gentile led church because of that Paul knowing under inspiration or maybe even just through looking at the Old Testament typology Israel is going to be out for quite a while okay but he knew that they would be back in all right um, that's coming up in, again in this week's sermon you know it's a repeating theme in there God covenanted with Israel. He is never going to violate that covenant with that group of people. It will never happen, okay? Your disobedience does not negate God's covenant faithfulness, all right? And that, so just hold fast to that. Know that it is true. I wish I didn't change this chair because this thing is really uncomfortable. Um, okay, so um, uh, Paul would describe his negative traits. Because of this, Paul says that it was for this reason that the Lord put him into the ministry. What may be a better translation is that the Lord had appointed him to his service. The word translated here as ministry is not simply one used as a reference to a religious duty. Rather, it is a general word which covers both secular and religious affairs. Paul was called into the service of the Lord, having been appointed by Christ specifically because he was reckoned as faithful. Okay, life application. Each of us has a general makeup that determines who we are. The Lord knows that makeup, and he will use it for his purpose, all right? Now, this is something that people always stress about, and I, I hear this a lot, and I'm sure you do if you're close to Christians, is, I, I, you know, I just don't know how to do anything good for Christ, and I'm totally wrong. I say this, I try to say this as often as possible to you. Anything that you do that is in faith, you will receive a reward for it. That's all there is to it. You will be rewarded if you do it in faith. If it's not in faith, you're not going to get one reward for it. Zero. I don't care what great thing you do, how magnanimous it is, or how expensive it is, or whatever. If it is not in faith, no rewards. Okay? If it is not a faith, it is of sin. It is sin. Paul says it. Yeah, it's of works, obviously, but if it's not a faith, it is sin. Okay? If you are doing something in faith with your limited physical abilities or your limited financial abilities or your limited whatever abilities, you are going to be rewarded for it. It's not something that you need to stress over because he created you. He's the one that gave you your ability or inability, your position in life, okay? It's what you do with what he gave you that he will be pleased with, all right? So don't fret over that. Don't think, you know, I'm not doing great things for Jesus. Look at these guys on TV. You're talking to billions of people. It doesn't matter. 
okay? There's, and I know I said it a week or two ago, but those people may not be doing it in faith, and if they are not, they're getting no rewards for what they're doing. They might be getting rich in this life, but they are not getting a reward for their actions. But if you, by faith, do something, the Lord will reward that, okay? Um, he knows your makeup. He knows how it will be used for his purposes. If we run ahead and jump into a ministry that fails, we shouldn't be upset at the Lord. Rather, we should praise him for ending something that was not meant to be. Having said this, there are many ministries that are highly successful, but which are not conducted in accord with the words of Paul in the pastoral epistles. Okay? Are they going to get rewards for that? No. You know, this, I don't, this video got recirculated again a couple days ago, and uh, it's just maddening. There's this lady. She's a preacher. She's in this giant church, and all these people are there, and she has a punting contest on the stage. Did anybody see it? No. The football was a Bible. Oh, stop. Yeah. Off it goes into the distance. And I'm like, you know, that that is just perverse. Wow. That is just perverse. You just type it into your, your search bar, you know, woman punts Bible in church. It'll infuriate you if you love this word, okay? It, what are people thinking? This is, I, I've got a big church and all these people and God's gonna reward me for this thing that I'm gonna do? Insane. Anyway, um, yeah, well, there you go. And plus, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 is coming up soon, folks. So uh, we'll find out more about her actions and that. Um, Success in a ministry that is not in accord with the Word of God is not a successful ministry at all. Let us not delude ourselves into thinking that a church is sound because it is growing, popular, well-funded, and so forth. A successful ministry is one which is first and foremost aligned with the Word of God. If you are aligned with the Word of God, you're going to be speaking about Jesus. If you're speaking about Jesus, you're going to be speaking about Him in the proper context, not like the Jehovah's Witnesses who speak about Jesus, but he's not God, okay? Or not like the Mormons that believe that Jesus was a man who became a God, all right? Those things are in error, all right? They are not in accord with the word of God. You must be in accord with this word in order to have a successful ministry. And it doesn't matter if it's a group that meets 12 people on, uh, you know, Tuesday afternoon, or if it's a big church. If it is in accord with the word of God, then God is pleased with it, all right? So um, I had a point that I was gonna make about something I just read. Let's see here. Well, I don't remember, you but know, Burke's got this, something. This translation that you don't like says he put me into the ministry. He put me into, that's the, well, it's not that I don't like the NASB. It's just, to me, it's a hard read. It just, it's like my mind goes clunk, clunk, clunk every time I get to something and I just don't process it well. And so I, I, it's not that I don't like it, it, and I recommend it to people quite often. You know, if you want something that's a good literal translation, but I always tell them it's a little clunky because when I read it, I just, it's not smooth flowing. Like, you know, I, give the me this. The New Living I'm gonna it. smooth flowing. The what? The New Living is smooth I, You know, I've flowing. never read yeah. the New Living translation. I've referenced it a million times, or I know exaggerated, I but um, uh, this is the NIV, okay? Swindoll uses that new living right beside his uh, other, in his teaching. He uses it side by side. Oh, okay. And this, well, then uh, I've heard it a million times. Gives, uh, uh, good gracious. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the preacher now. Oh, uh, uh, 
McGee, Dr. Yeah. McGee, this yeah. lady come up to him and says, I don't have a gift. And he says, well, they had a church supper. And he says, who's everybody talking about that they eat that cherry pie today? Oh, yeah. He says, you have a gift. You're you're here cheering and encouraging. Cherry pie by, by is her gift. Cook. If she's yeah. a good cook, that's a gift. If she's doing <laughs> it in faith for the Lord. Right, right. It's funny. You have a note here, favorite of Charlie. Um, I, I must have said this at some point. This is the NIV, right? If you want to read my opinion, the nicest version of Psalm 65, read it out of the NIV. You read some and they just, it's just not nice. But I'm t let me get down here to towards uh, where he just gets so beautiful with it. Um, I'll, I'll stop right, uh, start with verse nine and just to the end. It's only a couple verses. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your beauty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. I can't think of a nicer version of Psalm 65 than the NIV. So my footnote says. Now, I know. I don't understand why, where you got that from, but sure enough, that's I, I absolutely love their version of it. And some of them just are not that pretty. When you read it, you just you read it like a psalm and you go on. Every time I read that, I have to stop and just, it's just so well done. Anyway, the words they chose, the way they ordered them, so well done. Um, okay, so... Um, we're in 113. We are. You're going to switch chairs or what? And Yeah, let's do... I have a, I have a okay, he says I can. Um, well, I want to make sure we don't screw up with the... Uh, that thing is the most... I can't believe I sat on that all those years on the beach because that thing is horrifying. We'll see if this thing will go up and not go down. Look at that. This thing, this thing, this is the last time I use this chair. No, 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 no. Just let's let's just go. Sergio, Sergio's got it. He's going to move the camera down, and we're just going to go on. I'm sorry, folks. I know this is like a comedy today, but um, the people online must be just laughing their heads off. But Charlie, I'm thinking of Asian culture and the reverence they have. The head is the top. The yep. foot is the bottom. Yep. And that you would never point to oh, the yeah. Bible with your foot. You would never put the Bible on the floor. Yep. And I can only imagine any Asians in that church mm. just being like, <gasps> yeah, they'd astounded. be they'd be horrified. Absolutely. Horrified. Well, I'm horrified. Oh just, yeah. Just I mean, hearing it because I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Yeah. That conveys utter contempt. Total contempt. Well, I mean, I, that's that's why a punter is like the least guy on the team. Is because. Anyway, we we got to go on. All the time. We, we got to go on here. But but uh, I was, I got squeamish the other day when I see somebody saying we have a new Bible. It's it's the pirate yeah. translation. It's yeah. Like, it's all in like pirate English. Pirate talk. That's like, no good. Like, no what way. is this all about? It's Who like are you that? that deprived that you have to do this stuff? It's, yeah. It's, it's, no, that that's people are insane. people are just trying to Nothing make a buck off of something. Mm -hmm. you know, all right. Um, okay, go ahead. Thirteen. 13. Even though I was once a blasphemer. And a persecutor of the and a violent man, 
I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Ignorance. Okay, this is very close on this one. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Very close. So um, we'll go with that. Let's see. 113. Paul now contrasts. Did you get that? Okay. Yeah, he did. Okay. Sorry about that, folks. Paul now contrasts his state to Christ in Christ to his life before Christ. He just said in verse 12, he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. In contrasting words, he explains his life as a Pharisee and as a strict adherent to the law of Moses, saying words which place Christ Jesus as the object of his words. He begins with, although I was formerly a blasphemer. Paul's words to Timothy. As an observant Pharisee, how could he be a blasphemer? Unless Christ is the end of the law for all who believe, which he is, this could not be the case. Everybody see that? He's upholding the law. He can't be a blasphemer if he's upholding the law of Moses, which he was doing meticulously. But because he missed the purpose of the law, which is Jesus Christ, by persecuting the church, he was a blasphemer because the law is ended in Christ. That's uh, Hebrews 7.13 7, 18, Hebrews 8, 13, Hebrews 10, 9, Colossians 2, 14, etc. The law is done. It is over. It is annulled. It is obsolete. Okay? And he didn't understand that. He thought, I'm upholding the law of God. Instead, he was violating the law of God, and hence he was a blasphemer. All right? So, um, his words here show that adherence to the law is enmity with the Lord. How many times have we seen that in typology in the past, whatever, 400 sermons or however many we've been in since Genesis? Every single time you read this, there's something about the contrast between the law and grace. All right. The law is not your friend. We saw that last week. The law is made for and it went through all the people that it's made for and you don't want to be any of them. The law is not your friend. It is your enemy. It was a tool, an instrument to lead you to Jesus Christ. Okay, all the way through the typology of the Old Testament, it is evident page after page after page. The law is not your friend. I'm doing this so that you will understand when my son comes, how glorious that event will be. Okay, so um, uh, where was I? Yeah, the two are incompatible, law and grace, totally incompatible. That's why when you go to a Seventh-day Adventist church, you're not exercising God's grace. You have to be there on a Saturday. You can't drink Pepsi. You know They don't eat pork. They don't do all of these things. You can't do any of this stuff. Uh, some of it is law-based. Some of it is just them making it up out of their heads. Legalism. Okay? I was in that great Baptist church down the road, but they were very legalistic. And you found yourself struggling just to please God over some stupid thing that had nothing to do with Scripture. Okay, I've told you some of the things that they've done in the past. I, dresses have to be below the knee and this and that crazy stuff. All you're doing is you're harming your relationship with the Lord with that kind of legalism. Hello, sir. Come on in. Hello, thank you. I don't know if we're going to have enough for everybody, so uh, it might be one I piece gotta, uh, uh, per person. Okay. Um, we have, um, we have um, uh, Melissa P. She gave us money for pizza, and so uh, uh, we got that here, and... Uh, Thank you, Melissa. Um, good stuff, and I should have gotten more. I didn't know we'd have so many people tonight, but um, uh, I hope you'll enjoy it, and we'll thank the Lord for uh, her provision 
Um, one of these days, I hope she comes up here. She lives down in the, the you know, the East Coast down south of us, and uh, uh, she's always threatening to come and visit us, and it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. Does. So I'm trying to make her convicted right now about coming. And you know, I've told her you can stay with us. You know, we got an extra room and whatever. And she's got a lot of children though, so it does make it difficult. But anyway, um, let's see here. Um, uh, where were we? God uh, smile upon him who tempts to justify. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, the two are incompatible, the law and grace. Oh, okay. Go by. Thank Here you. Go. Have a blessed evening. <laughs> Say hi to Wa for me. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, sir. Okay, God cannot smile upon one who attempts to be justified by deeds of the law. He cannot do it when Christ has fulfilled that law. I say it every single week or every other week. He fulfilled the law. He died in fulfillment of the law. By reinserting the law, what are you doing? You're slapping God in the face and saying, I can do better than his son did, right? That makes a lot of sense. That makes a whole lot of sense. Do not mar grace by thinking that you have to do something that Christ already did for you. That's why he did it is because the law is set against you. It's not there for you. I do not understand the thinking, and the more that I think about it, the less I understand it. But we've all been in that state at one point or another in our lives where we are trying to merit God's favor and trying to look good. It's not going to work. All right, just trust God. Have faith, and he will deliver you, and what you do, do in faith. Okay? Uh, the two are incompatible. Christ fulfilled the law. It is blasphemy to attempt to do so, and Paul says so right here in this verse. After this, he said he was a persecutor. The first word, blasphemer, applies to his conduct toward God. The word now applies to his conduct towards God's people. The word he uses, dioctes, is only found here. It is a person who pursues and hunts down another. His actions in this regard are well described in the book of Acts. Okay? And then next, he says that he was an insolent man. This word, hubristis, is found only here and in Romans 1.30. What does it sound like to you? Hubristis. Hubris. There you go. There you go. One can see the modern word hubris in it. It indicates someone damaging others by lashing out with a nasty spirit. That was Paul. It is someone who revels in hurting others. And he did. He was reveling. He thought he was doing it for a good cause. He wasn't. But he was reveling in what he was doing. He was so enjoying doing it. All right. So, um, as again, as noted above, Paul uses these words to describe himself as a man strictly adhering to the law of Moses. If that is the case, if he now acknowledges that that was wrong, and yet he was strictly adhering to the law of Moses, and then you walk into a Seventh-day Adventist church and they say, you need to do this and this, you say, why is Paul telling us these things then? Why is he telling us these things? Or any church you go into where they say you got to do, you have to tithe. Why did Paul tell us this? Oh, you, you, you can't eat pork. Just point to Paul and say, you know, he was trying to do what you're still trying to do. He's written volumes about not doing what you people are doing. Pick up the book of Galatians and just read it through without any presuppositions. And you will see that Paul did not want you to do these things. He lived that life. He was freed from that life. And now he wants you to live in Christ as a servant of Christ. I know you got something for us because, no, okay, you were really skimming something there for a while. Um, I was looking at the law. Oh, okay. All right. So the law is written for those who are under the law. That's right. 
They're for those under the law. We're not under law. We're under grace. He says it explicitly. All right? If God is not imputing sin to us in 2 Corinthians 5.19, what does that mean? We're not under law because if we were, we would be imputed sin. Even David understood that, and that's why Paul cites it. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. David understood that. There's something greater than this law. I may not fully understand it, but I know that it's there. And then along comes Jesus. Um, let's see here. Uh, the word, oh, one who obtains mercy is, oh, I think I skipped something. Yes, okay, how is it that those who feel they are right with God by adhering to the law think that they are acceptable to God? That's why I just said, hold up Paul's words and say, how do you figure that? Such is not the case. It shows that all, including law observers, all people are in need of something else. It is something that Paul says he found with the words, but I obtained mercy. Okay, mercy, the difference between grace and mercy, grace is getting what you uh, don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Absolutely. He obtained mercy. He didn't get what he deserved. One who obtains mercy is a person who needed mercy. Paul found this despite his wretched condition. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But in Christ, both grace and mercy are found. Paul then qualifies the statement by saying, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul was doing what he was doing in belief. So how can you say he was doing it in unbelief? Because his reference changed from Moses to Jesus. He was doing it out of faith. That's why he was doing it. I have faith that the law is what's going to get me to where I need to go. That was his place of faith, was his own self working deeds under the law. All of a sudden, he said, I'm doing something wrong. I'm not doing it in faith because my reference is wrong. My reference has been Moses. I need to switch to Christ. Now, that was made uh, you know, evidently apparent to him when Jesus revealed himself to him, something that other people just don't get. All right, but we have the written word. We see that happened to Paul and we have Paul's writing. So we should be able to say, even though Jesus doesn't pop in front of me and tell me I need to do this thing, I should be obedient to what this word says. Okay, I should read this word. I should know this word. I should drink it in. Just like the picture that we saw a couple weeks ago with the people uh, at the uh, spring of Herod, right? What were they doing? They were drinking like dogs. They were drinking like dogs. It doesn't matter if they were kneeling. It doesn't matter if they were standing. It doesn't matter if they laid on their stomach and did this. They were lapping like dogs. The dogs are the Gentiles, and the Jews will learn that lesson one of these days. Okay, so wonderful stuff. Um, that is what we need to do is drink in the Word of God. Just be constantly thinking about it. Play it on your radio. Uh, play it when you're uh, working on your uh, golf cart. If you have a golf cart, turn on the Bible and, and uh, work on it with uh, the Bible going, okay? If you're out mowing the lawn, then you have those, uh, those iPad, uh, you know, the things that keep out all the other sound and just turn on the Bible and just mow your lawn, okay? Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Don't just let it dwell in you. Let it dwell in you richly all the time. Meditate on the Word of God. Think about the Word of God. Think of what God is telling you in the Word. Yes? This verse, Paul says, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly. Would somebody reverse and said, if I'm doing something not ignorantly, but I know the truth, yet I'm still disobeying God, 
No, uh, you know, it's a little complicated, and I can't repeat what you said. So, uh, unless you want to say it really loud so they can hear you. Oh, so if Paul says he obtained mercy because he was doing it in ignorance. Paul said he obtained mercy because he was doing it in ignorance, okay? So then if I'm doing something not ignorant, I know I'm doing something wrong. You're doing it wrong. Yeah. Then I don't get mercy. I mean, I know... That's probably the answer. I mean, the answer is no. But well, no, and somebody emailed me about exactly that question. His child asked that question, and he emailed me, and he said, how do I respond to this? Maybe I can find that. Okay, do you mind if we take a minute and do that? Okay, hold on. Let me see if I can find it. It'll be in my trash file, and it'll take a minute. But it, he asked exactly that question a day ago. Yeah, and the reason uh, why I'm asking is because I remember a few years ago, I was thinking, well, I know I've wronged here, and I've done, I've sinned here, but... Paul was forgiven, he obtained mercy, but then I thought, ah, oh, but he did it ignorantly. Okay. And, I knew and I, you knew you did wrong. Okay, well, what? where does the, where, uh, um, okay, he said, sounds like a broken speaker, but it works. Okay, now it's probably still, oh, sound is okay. So people people uh, uh, emailed me, and I'm sorry I didn't answer that. That's on my email, and I, I, I didn't know to check that. But okay, um, uh, what what is it when you are in Christ and you're not doing something properly? What is the ultimate result of that? Loss of rewards. Loss of rewards. That's the difference. Let me see if I can find what I read, uh, what I sent to this guy. and Because he answer, his child asked a very, very similar question. Here it is. Um, whoops, I pushed the wrong one. Now i got to go back. It says, um, I'm not going to tell you who asked me that or um, whatever, but um, uh, here it is. Okay, I want to... Okay. I'm not going to say who asked this or you know what the exact question was because I don't want to give anything away. But um, uh, let me see here. Um, okay, it's almost the same as what you just asked. Uh, one person asked if he were punching the other and thinking of Jesus, can a person earn future faith rewards while being naughty? It's basically the same thing you're asking. Here was my answer. Okay, the simple and uh, Oh, it would, this comes from the commentary I was typing two minutes earlier. And so I, I said this from my commentary, which was before he emailed me. The simple and easy, easily ignored or dismissed claim that Jesus resurrected carries with it all of the weight and authority of the final decree of God for salvation. If you've ever wondered why such a basic and simple set of words is so greatly maligned by people, it is because, as simple as they are to understand, they are some of the most incredible words one could possibly accept. This is uh, Paul speaking about the resurrection to Festus, right? How can I believe that? A dead person came back to life? Truly, only an act of faith uh, that what is recorded in Scripture can bring one to accept them. As this is so, how pleasing it must be to God when we demonstrate that simple act of faith. As Christians, be people of faith. If you have believed that God could raise a man from the dead, then accepting the words, the other words of Scripture should not be that difficult to accept as well. Think of evolution, for example, right? Maybe I even address it. I don't remember what I said to him because it was real early in the morning. But yeah, atheists think of Jesus all the time, don't they? They have debates about Jesus. They just don't believe what is proclaimed about him. People who are saved have believed the gospel, but they may still believe in evolution, is that demonstrating faith in God's word? Absolutely not. A person may be saved, get angry, and beat up his brother. He may be even thinking about Jesus at the time that he is doing it. If he is, he knows that what he is doing is wrong because Jesus wouldn't condone that. 
He may have faith in Jesus, but he is not acting in faith because what he is doing is contrary to his faith in Jesus. Thus, there can be no reward. Instead, when one is mad at the other and says, I really want to beat you up, but I know that the word directs me not to do it, so I won't, then he is a man of faith who is also acting in faith. I, meaning Charlie Garrett, believe in Jesus, and yet I don't always do things that are faithful, but he gives more grace. Thank God for Jesus who saves us through faith and continues to save us even when we don't act in faith, okay? Because if he didn't, we would all lose our salvation lickety-split, all right? Does that answer the question? Okay, there you go. Rewards and losses. It's all in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5. Okay, so um, ignorantly got that. He found that he was one. I uh, don't want to miss where I was. I'll just read that again. The word ignorantly gives a sense of lacking the proper knowledge of the matter. He looked at the law as a means to an end, failing to see that Christ is the end of the law. His efforts were intended to please God through the law and through destroying those who were not in conformity with it. He was trying to uphold the law. That's what he was doing, but he was doing it as incorrectly because Christ had ended the law. But he found that he was the one who was in the wrong. It was those he persecuted who were adhering to the fulfilled law. They, not the others. When a Mormon comes up to you and says, you're not going to go to heaven because you're not doing this and that and one thing according to the law of Moses, you say, you're the one that's offending God. Okay? Say it to anybody. Seventh-day Adventist, that Hebrew Roots guy that emailed me a while ago and told me that... All these people are offending God by their actions because they're trying to do what Christ has already done. It's already done. Don't do that. Okay? So, um, Paul's words here are contemplated by some to indicate that ignorance of the law will lead to a mitigation of the punishment. That's what he was asking right there. Or even complete forgiveness of the penalty for the infractions of the law. This is not Paul's intent here. I just explained to you what this means, okay? Though it is true that those who sin in ignorance may receive a lessening of punishment, and Jesus says that, those who know to do right and don't do it, they'll get beat with many stripes, and those who don't know, okay, you know that verse, right? That's somebody that is under law, that is trying to live under law, and he's doing something ignorantly. That's a different thing completely than what Paul is speaking of here. We are under grace we don't want to use grace as license and beat up our little brother, okay? So, um, you're not going to go to hell for it, but he's going to have a sore body and you're going to lose rewards. That's what's going to happen, okay? Um, though it is true that those who sin in ignorance may receive a lessening punishment, it is not true that one will stand guiltless for ignorant violations of the law. You are guilty. You are guilty before the law, Okay? Even the Old Testament had that. Sin's done in ignorance. And what do you do? When you find out that you've sinned, then you have to go sacrifice, meaning that you've done wrong, okay? So there, atonement here, atonement of sin must be granted, and that can only be found in Christ the Lord, only. People that, you know, John Hagee, Jews are saved through adherence to the law of Moses. It's okay. We don't need to evangelize them. The Catholic Church, which holds to that same stand, they are condemning people by not telling them the truth. They're actively condemning people by not evangelizing them and saying that you can be saved through the law of Moses. You cannot be. The people under the law were only anticipating Christ 
through faith. And if they weren't, then they they were doing things they shouldn't be doing, and the Day of Atonement had no effect on them at all. All right? Those uh, atonement of sin must be granted, and that can only be found in Christ. Those not covered in Christ will be judged accordingly. Life application. In Christ, even the worst offenses can be forgiven. If you have a sin which wears you down because of its enormity, you must realize that you have been forgiven if you have come to him. Do not be so presumptuous as to assume that your sin is greater than his ability to forgive. That is a sin of presumption. Thank goodness you're not being imputed for that as well. Because if you think that your sin is greater than God can forgive, it means that God made a mistake when he sent Jesus to the cross. That is sufficient for everything that you do. Just try not to do it, okay? Use your life directing your actions toward Christ. And when you fail, acknowledge it. That's why we stop before we take the Lord's Supper every week, okay? What do the words say in 1 Corinthians 11, right? Absolutely. You need to stop and you need to say, I am not worthy of what I'm about to take. And I understand that because this past week, I have offended you. But you give more grace. Thank God for Jesus, okay? So... Uh, in Christ, the worst offenses can be forgiven. Do not be so presumptuous as to assume that your sin is greater than his ability to forgive. Cast away the feeling of guilt and replace it with an attitude of confidence in your forgiveness and of praise for how it came about. Thank God for Jesus who was able to do this for us. I'm telling you, it is the most wonderful story of redemption. God has dotted every I and he has crossed every single so that you can be saved all right he hasn't made any mistakes in the process of sending jesus and in his life and in his death and in his resurrection there is no error in that and there is nothing that is lacking in that if you don't believe that just go back and listen to the deuteronomy sermons he covers everything there i was thinking about that today because i'm you know i hate to admit it but the the audio bible that i have the one chapter that is really hard to listen to is Deuteronomy because the guy tries to play an old Moses and he just drones on and I'm driving and I like get in an accident. It's very hard to listen to. But I, and I, I was preparing myself today because we're in Exodus right now and I'm like, yes, okay. And uh, I'm going to be in Deuteronomy. I kept saying to myself, just think on the words of Deuteronomy. I think it's 21. Man, I'm telling you, the things that the Lord has put into them, I think it's Deuteronomy 21. Let me see if it's this one. It's got the stories of uh, the uh, uh, things to do. Here it is. Uh, if anyone is found slain lying in the field in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess and it is not known who killed him, then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance from the slain man to the surrounding cities. And it shall be that the elders of the city nearest to the slain man will take a heifer which has not been worked and which is not pulled with a yoke. The elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to a valley with the flowing water which is neither plowed nor sown, and they shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. And it goes on and on with that one. Then it goes into another account, and then a third account. You know, the, the uh, beautiful woman, he takes her and blah, 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 and then the other one, a man has two wives. Those three accounts in Deuteronomy 21 are so filled with what God is doing in Christ. He's saying, here's another T that I'm crossing. Here's another I that I'm dotting. So that when you get to the end of what is being said that points to Christ, you will say, absolutely nothing is missing. He has got everything figured out. So if somebody comes to you arrogantly and says, well, God, you know, he, it is all figured out. Every bit of it. 
I'm telling you, I just absolutely love going through the law because it was such a detailed description of the coming work of Christ. Every sacrifice, every single color, every single medal, everything is pointing to Jesus and what he was going to do for us. Everything is done. Thank God that he did it. And let's try not to reinsert the law into our lives, okay? As a matter of fact, don't try not to. Just don't do it. Um, who was it that, was it somebody in here that sent me the clip from Bob Newhart? It might have been Bob up and Somebody sent me a Bob Newhart clip. And I was thinking, this is like Theology 101. This lady comes in, she's an erotic. And she says, I I've got this problem. And he says, she says, what is your fee? And he says, well, it's the, the first five minutes are uh, uh, $8 or something. And after that, you won't need it. Well, how do you know? I'll have you cured by then. Well, how do you know? He says, I will do it. Nobody has ever stayed longer than the first five minutes. So she sits down and she says, well, here's my problem. And he yells at her, stop it. She says, what? She says, just stop it. Right? And then she starts into her next thing. And pretty soon she's yelling at him, you stop it. He says, just stop it. And after five minutes, they were done. Anyway, theology 101. If you're doing something that's offensive to God, stop it. If you're observing the law of Moses to try to gain favor with him, stop it, right? It was just so simple. Do what the Lord asks of you to do. Live for the Lord, think on the Lord, be people of faith in the Lord. That's what we need to do. And you know what we need to do now? Pizza. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for Melissa and her giving us food. Uh, we're stopping a little early tonight to uh, rejoice in what she has done. And we wanna ask that you bless her abundantly in that. Thank you for the people that are visiting. I understand that they uh, do their own ministry work and I just pray that you will uh, bless them abundantly in their time of uh, ministering to others. And Lord, we're so grateful to you for the many blessings of this life. How good you are to us. They just fill us with blessing upon blessing. Uh, the smile of a little child's face and the smell of a, a flower when we walk by it. The beautiful weather that comes throughout the year in different seasons. Everything is according to your wisdom. Everything is according to your grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, above all, for Jesus who came to do what we could never do for ourselves. Help us to be people of faith and not to slap you by ignoring what he has done. Instead, by applying your word to our lives and living in that state all of our time. Thank you, Lord God. Help us in this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Thank let me back this up. So, thank you. We'll back this up and we'll see if we can say goodbye to these folks here. Wow, an uncomfortable chair. Okay, we're going to go uh, break.